You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Watt Watchers, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use, and SolarAy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson, I'm the editor of Renew Economy, and joining me as usual is ITK analyst David Leach. David, how are you? I'm uh, exhausted, Giles, from trying to keep up with the all the reading you have to do to on, just on electricity alone. Someone was telling me it was a boring subject. In fact, our special guest today said that uh, she loves it, but not everyone does. But uh, certainly, no, a lot of work. Look, my head is absolutely spinning from all the things that are happening um, out there. Look, we do have a special guest. Um, we've got Amy Childs, the new CEO of Momentum Energy, talking to us. Um, we interviewed her earlier on today, and um, we'll flip over to that discussion very soon. But look, let's just see if we can digest a little bit of what we've seen over the last week. Now, let's start off in Canberra. Um, and Angus Taylor held two meetings, one with the big energy retailers where he asked them to sort of volunteer to lower their benchmark prices and they said, no, we're not, but um, we'll give out a form which might simplify them. Um, so I'm not too sure if that was a huge success. Um, Amy Charles actually has some interesting things to say about that in that interview um, that we did with her. And the other one was about this dispatchable generation. And um, so he had a meeting in Sydney, in, in, um, in Sydney, sorry, well, not in Canberra, as I said before, in Sydney with about 30 or 40 uh, different organisations on Wednesday and another one down on Friday. The Sydney one seemed to be dominated by Trevor St. Baker giving everyone a lecture about the uh, benefit of coal plants and, and why we shouldn't have too much wind and solar in the grid, which I'm sure was music to the ears of Angus Taylor. But... What do you make of this dispatchable generation thing that um, they've come up with or they're coming up with? Giles, I think my views are fairly clear. I don't think the ACCC should have been sticking its nose into that uh, at all. I think it's been, I think the justification that they put forward that some large users said they were unhappy. I mean, every person that was unhappy with the delivery of some service or other uh, got a special government uh, inquiry. Uh, there'd be a lot more people employed in government than there already are. Um, and so I don't think the ACCC, as I've said, had any business been involved in it. And I think that Angus Taylor is just trying to rush something through in a big hurry without any reasonable consideration of all of the policy initiatives that are already underway. I mean, uh, reliability and dispatchability and flexibility, uh, subjects that have been considered all the time by AEMO and the ESB and the AEMC. Uh, New rules are being made and the system is adjusting reasonably well. Um, If you were to read the latest AEMO reports, uh, um, they say that there is a reliability uh, risk and that we do need to think about reliability and how it's measured um, uh, and that the unserved energy way of measuring it doesn't capture all of the risk. And I think that's fair enough. Uh, But at the same time, if you also look at their report, um, they would say that in in the integrated system plan, in the what I might call neutral scenario, provided we build Snowy 2 uh, or, or its equivalent and a bit of distributed storage, that is household batteries, there just isn't going to be an issue out there. And nothing Angus can do in the short term 
uh, is, is going to have any impact on this coming summer. And, and I'll hand back to you in a second, Giles, but I just also want to finish is that it just hasn't considered the national interest uh, properly in, in, in coming up with this plan. The national interest requires that you take into account the, all the other developments that are happening in the national electricity market and requires that you think about decarbonisation and the longer term plan. Uh, to give you an example, if Labor gets in and sets, for instance, a 50% renewable target by 2030, it won't matter if one particular coal station is being subsidised, it or something else will still have to uh, reduce its output to, to meet the new target. Well, exactly. And then these were points made by um, Oliver Yates, the former uh, chief of the uh, Clean Energy Finance Corporation, um, both about the um, ridiculous um, offer to indemnify any coal generator against any future carbon price or emissions targets, and also ignoring the um, government's own procurement rules uh, about um, taking um, the, in, the environment into account, which you've, you've just pointed out. But um, worse than that, um, we're not really too sure what's going to happen out of Angus Taylor's um, thing, apart from the fact that he's going to be in an almighty rush to get something locked away before the caretaker period of the federal election, which has to be held by May. So you've got to figure the caretaker period will be done in April. He wants to run an emit, uh, yeah, expressions of interest and um, formulate the rules and then do a formal tender and then allocate something, have it all all cut and dried by the end of March. It um, just seems improbable. It's not but, only improbable, it's disgraceful that you should rush national policy. It clearly shows a bias uh, towards getting something done in a big hurry that can't possibly be relevant to an election and that can't possibly have proper consideration of the longer-term interests. Any proper consideration of what needs to happen requires an awful lot more planning than that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, um, the Victorian government, or not sorry, not the Victorian government, the Victorian coalition has doubled down on that, promising their own, if should they win the election in Victoria, which is being held in two weeks' time, just under two weeks' time, um, in contrast to Labor's 50% renewable energy target that they will, um, well, they'll upgrade their current target to 50% by 2030, should they retain power. If the Victorian coalition gets in, they're talking about having a new 500 megawatt 24-7 power plant, which I'm not really too sure what that is, plus uh, waiving away any uh, royalty fees for the existing brown coal generators. And I've tried to justify this by some modelling um, from people um, quite <laughs> familiar to us, Frontier Economics. And I've got to say, look, I looked at the modelling. I mean, this, the, the, the talk of the benefits to the consumers of between $350 and a year or $655 if you're a big energy user is based on the assumption that your lawn will exit the market by 2020, which it can't actually do now under the new rules, which stop things been closing down with less than three years' notice. Um, and that something else can be built, whatever that 500 megawatts is, can be built within two years. I mean, look, the whole thing just smacks of desperation. But um, I just don't get why they're actually aiming, even shooting at this target. No, uh, I don't get it. Uh, Danny Price, as I've said many times, uh, is a smart man, uh, uh, but he does love his coal, um, and he's made that clear. Uh, I 
sure that putting new gas fired generation in is going to reduce prices because gas is so cheap, Giles. You know that. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's right. Well, the Herald Sun was telling us it could be it could be solar and gas, and you just think about it and just go, well, if that's going to be twenty four seven, then it's going to be anything but. You know? It's obvious that gas is the answer because um, everyone's rushing to buy gas and put in gas plants for everything around the country because with gas at ten dollars a gigajoule, it's by the way, it's two dollars fifty a, a gigajoule higher than last year in the short term trading market. So. That ACCC intervention there was very successful. Um, <laughs> well, look, not, not, not all coalition um, parties and governments are completely mad. Um, the New South Wales government has actually just come out today with their transmission plan, which is great. And this sort of talks about the need to upgrade various links between uh, New South Wales and Queensland and Victoria, which, of course, it needs because it is an importer of capacity and a rather lot of it. Um, the need for a new link with South Australia, which it would see to its advantage for a bunch of reasons, and also the creation of renewable energy zones. Basically, David, it seems as though they're just sort of falling in line and endorsing what AEMO said in its um, very good integrated system plan. But as we saw with its announcement from two weeks ago, and it's a shame that we couldn't get anyone from New South Wales onto our podcast because uh, we did invite them, but we got no answer. Um, but their presentation a couple of weeks ago about their emerging renewables plan, not great in scope, in fact, not very much money at all, but at least they sort of accepted that this transition was happening and they weren't doing anything silly like keeping coal plants open longer than they needed to be. Look, I think that's just the coalition trotting out Don Harwin, who's the soft, gentle face uh, when he can't be talking about the ballet. Uh, he, <laughs> he has to talk about electricity. Uh, here we go, you know. And, and, and tra frankly, Transgrid does all the work on this and, and it just gets trotted out by the New South Wales government. And I, I'm not sure that Don can actually spell electricity all that well. Uh, but, but, but it doesn't really matter. It is great to see more transmission. And this is one of the things that we are going to see in New South Wales is that the uh, South Australia to New South Wales interconnector, if it gets built, together with an upgrade of the Victoria to New South Wales transmission and the Queensland to New South Wales transmission, all of which are, are part of stage one or stage two of the integrated system plan, which the ESB is, is, is the Energy Security Board, is working hard to, to make happen as quickly as possible. All of those things are going to see that much of the new renewable energy in Queensland and Victoria, South Australia, is in fact exported up to New South Wales because in New South Wales, black coal sets the price of electricity quite a lot of the times in the NEM, and it's more expensive than Victorian brown coal or Queensland black coal on a short run marginal cost basis. So once we displace gas in the system, it's up to New South Wales that everyone looks to next. Absolutely. And um, but um, an interesting thing about that ISP is that it actually looks at New South Wales and it is there that's going to have the most tra dramatic transition because they've got all their 70 percent of their coal fired generators are going to be out of the system within 15 years and it's going to be replaced, according to the ISP. And this seems to be endorsed by the New South Wales government by a mixture of renewables, possibly a little bit of gas and an awful lot of storage. So. Um, even though they don't have a set renewable energy target, the transition is going to happen there, probably more dramatic than in any other state. But look, you Charles, just I, th I thought I might mention there that uh, Sunset Power, which owns the Vales uh, Point B power station, actually released its FY financial year 2018 results a while back and showed a nice increase in profit over the year, as well as an increase in coal costs. But 
you might remember last year there was a fantastic kerfuffle about how much that station was worth. This year, because of the forecast of lower electricity prices, they've actually reduced its valuation a bit, but it's still humming along at a good rate of profit. And what I see from the numbers is that if the electricity prices in New South Wales are $70 a megawatt hour, uh, the New South Wales coal stations uh, make a mozza, frankly. If hmm. the electricity prices are $50 a megawatt hour, uh, they're on their knees. That's interesting. So uh, how much do they value Vale's Point at now, roughly? I knew you were going to ask me that, Giles. <laughs> Listeners will have to stay tuned for next week. So we'll give we'll we'll give a special edition next week. Um, of of course, the, that transaction was actually negotiated um, by one of the senior New South Wales public servants at the time, whose name was Kerry Schott, who's now chair of the Energy Security Board. And just one last thing before we go off to the interview with Amy Childs. Um, David, the Energy Security Board is producing something. Uh, well, Kerry Schott and, um, and and her deputy are producing something called... Oh, what is it called? It's called the Strategic Energy Plan. The Strategic Plan. Energy Plan. You know what why, Josh? Well, we don't have enough acronyms, you know? <laughs> I mean, uh, I know all our readers are fully up on the uh, AER, the AMC, the ISP, uh, AEMO, the ESB, uh, uh, the the RUIT. And, uh, you know, you get a bonus uh, can of beer at the next Sunday on its conference if you can explain the RUIT in some detail. That's the RERT. But now we have the Strategic Energy Plan, uh, which is a strategic plan um, designed to consider the success, essentially, of how electricity is working. And I guess that they've uh, announced uh, today the, um, or asked for some opinions on what, what uh, the metrics that they're going to use to judge the success of the strategic energy plan and, by implication, the success of the Energy Security Board and the success of the COAG Energy Council at, at putting Australia's electricity system to rights in the long term. Now, my metrics would be fairly simple. I think we should show up a lot better on this uh, tripartite thing of, of price, reliability and decarbonisation. Uh, but they have uh, more objectives, but they're essentially along the same lines. Well, I hope they get their replies and their submissions very soon, because my understanding is they're supposed to come up with a draft strategic energy plan by um, by the next meeting in December. So um, maybe they've already got some sort of preconceived thoughts. Look, let's now turn to the interview. Um, Amy Childs is the CEO of Momentum Energy. Uh, she was appointed just a few weeks ago. She'd been there for a few months and um, got some interesting things to, just to, to say about the industry. So here we are, Amy Childs from Momentum Energy. Thanks for having me. Well, congratulations on your appointment as CEO of Momentum Energy. Um, you've been at, C at uh, Momentum for a couple... Well, you've actually, I think you've been in this, sort of acting in this role for the last six months and uh, at Momentum for about two years, is that right? That's just about right. So I've been recently appointed as the Managing Director of Momentum Energy and I've been here in the business nearly three years. So I did a couple of years looking after the sales and marketing area of the business. And um, yeah, and since May, I've been acting in the role as the MD, which has been fantastic. Well, congratulations. Now, you went down to Canberra last year for one of um, Angus Taylor's briefings with the energy retailers. As you looked around the room, how many other women CEOs were there of energy retailers? I'm thinking of Catherine Tanner, and I'm struggling to think of any others. Um, well, there is Carly uh, Wishart who looks after Simply Energy. I think she, I didn't actually go to the Canberra Summit last year, but the, the meeting we had last week in Sydney, um, then when I looked around the room, there's probably about four or five other women in the room um, out of, yeah, a, a, large, a large cohort of blokes, should we say. 
Well, good. Well, I think um, we obviously um, need more. Um, <laughs> How many people were there altogether, can I ask? Uh, there were 20, about 20 energy retailers represented, plus, plus advisors. So give or take, there are probably about 50 people. What was what was the mood of the room? Because now Momentum Energy is not actually one of those people um, that were sort of implicated into in what Angus Taylor is doing. He's basically trying to sort of set this new default price or ask people to lower their default prices. But uh, Momentum's actually, um, you've kind of changed your strategy a while ago. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. So about 18 months ago, we we decided proactively and I think this is a nice thing you can do when you're a smaller retailer because you can change things quite quickly we decided um, to abolish discounts um, which was one of the things that we thought was quite confusing for customers when it came to understanding the cost of what they're going to pay for their for their energy bill so we stopped offering it to new customers in the market and have had really positive feedback on that it's been quite a differentiator for us um, for the past 18 months, and interesting enough, a lot of the lot of the um, big players have now come to market with with no discounts in their offers as well, which I'm really pleased to see because I think it's a great it's a great one for the customer, and it makes it a lot easier for people to um, understand what they're going to pay. And you know, if you miss your bill by a day, it's it's not the end of the world, and it's not going to you know sting you a, a huge penalty. I, so I that, do think that this policy, yeah, policy of well, actually, of, of, of talking about electricity prices in dollar terms uh, offers rather than in uh, percentages off is, is, is a good thing. And, and so I guess is getting rid of the, um, you know, that the contract just carries on at whatever price the electricity retailer now thinks is a fair deal without formal notification of a, of a price change. But I, I actually just wanted to, uh, Giles will come back to that, but I just wanted to come back and look at the overall uh, results of Momentum and just ask a little bit uh, what your objectives as CEO are. If I could only go by looking at the Hydro Tas Tasmania annual report and I've got the numbers out of the segment side of things and you know your sales in uh, revenue in FY15 was 900 and in FY18 it's 939 million. Of course, that's heavily influenced by electricity prices. But the EBITDA has actually declined in FY18, as far as I can see, from about $38 million down to, down to $19 million. I, I was just wondering, in that context, what, what you're seeing as your sort of uh, goals as CEO? Well, I think for me, the biggest, um, the biggest focus going forward uh, for us as a business is probably two, two main things. Um, one is we uh, did a relatively um, significant system transformation uh, in the last... 18 months, we bedded it down a year ago, which is all designed to make it easier for customers to interact with us. So, you know, Momentum was a startup business. It's been around overall around 14 years. Hydro Tasmania bought us in 2009. Um, and what we're looking to do is essentially leverage that capability to deliver um, better products to customers that are in that simpler vein, that are easier to understand, helping customers interact how they want, when they want with us, um, as well as looking at um, ways that we can reward lo loyalty for our customers, because that's something else that I'm really, I'm really, really keen to, um, to drive more of. So I think a world where um, customers shouldn't have to be mystified around what the cost of their energy is, is, is something that I'm really, really keen to strive. And I think we're in a good spot now to start to, to drive that forward as a, as a, as a business. 
like sure the market's very very noisy there's lots of noise around um, the place with meetings and summits and interventions and inquiries but I think at the end of the day it's all coming from a from a good place which is in the interest of the customer which you know we're very keen as a business and I'm particularly keen to lead lead a piece in that to make energy interesting and exciting for customers and I think that's part of the problem um, it is confusing and it's hard to access the market and therefore this apathy happens and if you ask customers and we have a number of times there's a lot of research out there um, that talks to the fact that it's all just too confusing and all too hard and I just can't be bothered and that shouldn't be the case in my view. When, when I look down at um, the statistics on uh, momentum are fairly hard to find but I looked in Victoria where there was an inquiry into retail prices and it seems like your customer numbers in Victoria are electricity a bit under 100,000 and in gas about 50,000. Uh, my two questions around that, uh, how do you plan to grow the numbers and do you have a significant customer base in other states as well and, and how can one small retailer stand out from another one and you know what's, what's become a very sort of generic field? Yeah, I, 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 the, the customer number for us, there's a, roughly we're just over 200,000 customer sites to kind of answer the question around total size of book. We are predominantly, we are predominantly Victoria based and, and plans for us, I think it's um, customers are becoming more, um, I guess, overt around what they choose and what they support. So a couple of key points for us that differentiate us from the rest. Obviously, I've touched on the discounting piece and, and leading the charge on that. The second one is being Australian owned and operated, and that is a big that is becoming more and more important for Australian consumers more broadly. So um, I think there's only about four energy retailers in Australia who actually, well, in the ones that we compete with anyway, that offer um, a local based service. And that's something that's quite a reassuring to our customers, specifically when you think about interventions, when you need to actually talk to your energy retailer, which is when you're moving your home or the power goes out, it's actually quite good to have someone who's got your local context. Um, so that's something that works really, really well for us. And um, being owned by Hydro Tasmania um, is, is a fantastic asset for us. And, and for us, we've got to work out the way that we can we can align that relationship further and make it make a, a bigger deal on that because consumers of the future are very very interested in the future of the world i mean most of the market that we'll be selling to in the next 10 years is the millennial um, the millennial consumer is interested in um, renewables very interested in making sure they are aligned to organizations that are doing the right thing by the customer and they have the right digital digital investment that helps them um, work with the way that they want to work given the lifestyle well, that people have. Once upon a time, you could have done door knocking, which was people, door knocking became unpopular, and I, I understand that. But at the same time, it was a great customer acquisition channel. It's, how, how can you, do you just rely on Google? I mean, now you have yeah, to go with it. Not, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we predominantly switched, when I first joined the business, we we shifted our attention to how we how we drove our how we drove our marketing effort and what message we put out there. We do predominantly rely on on digital marketing. Um, it's effective. We're there in the moment that the customer needs us. So you're not just blasting material out to market nonsensically. You actually make sure that you are follow, you, you know you're following what people are looking for. So you know placing yourself on places like realestate.com domain, those types of um, websites where people are actually searching for property, rental properties, new properties. It's been it's been around in what we call a moment of truth. So for us, we've seen a massive shift into that space. Um, the other thing for us where the opportunity for a business our size is, is working in the partnership space. So 
um, you know, more and more there's organisations approaching us to say, how can we partner with you? We're really proud of a partnership we have with Geelong um, Football Club, for example. And there's more and more opportunities for us to do things with, with partners and like-minded organisations who, who have a natural kind of affiliation. So tell me, because of the ownership of Hydro Tasmania, does that mean that Momentum markets itself as a 100% renewable energy retailer? No, we don't. So we, we purchase energy from the market like anybody else does. So you can't attribute, you know, Hydro Tasmania's generation to, to Momentum's um, to what Momentum customers buy. But what we do promise our customers is that for every unit of electricity they buy from us, we make sure that Hydro Tasmania, the people who do the trading for us, trade or hedge us against a renewable source, whether it be Hydro Tasmania or another one. Um, but it's a very difficult message to take to a consumer that says, you know, um, buy our electrons because they're greener than the person next door, because that's just, we all know, it's not a fact. Yes, right. Yeah, what's the what's the interest then amongst the consumers then for their own um, generation solar solar and battery storage and what are they thinking in terms of the electric vehicles, and how are you facilitating that? So we're doing a bit of we've done a bit of research with customers around where that's heading. I think people solar is obviously huge, and um, customers are really keen to to get some help in that space. Um, so I think there's definitely a lot of opportunity there and there's a sort of a mixed bag. I think a few energy retailers have had a crack at doing some things in this space um, with mixed levels of success. Um, for us, I think there's definitely opportunity there. I think electric vehicles, I think the smart home, integrated smart homes, and there's massive opportunities there in terms of thinking about a world where an energy retailer stops being almost a billing engine and almost starts to be a, an aggregator of these great services for the customer and almost at the point where you're helping customers um, navigate and manage um, their energy landscape if you can call it that. Mm. I mean it, it often sounds like a bit of a different um, business model that you're talking here. Yeah and, uh, absolutely. It, it was interesting what you were saying about the sort of the confusion I mean the, the old mantra was we used to joke and it's probably quite true actually that confusion was profit so what would yeah. be the profit driver now and and will in the future with a distributed energy model where as you say it's based around the consumer and their own resources or the assets which are within their household or, or shed or whatever can they, can they reasonably expect a cheaper electricity future as well as a cleaner one? Well, I'd, I'd, you'd have to say yes. I mean, I don't have the data right in front of me the second to sort of say absolutely, but you'd have to say yes naturally just by the way the world's heading. I mean, um, you look at other energy, other sort of other markets that have been massively disrupted, and I think energy is right at the in the midst of it now. Like at the minute, it is it's not affordable for every single person to go out and you know put solar panels on their roof or put a battery in their home, and but that the cost of that kit will come down, and I think over time um, the opportunity is is actually in the transparency of that, and I think that's partly what really excites me. Like. You know, when I talked with my friends about getting this job, they sort of all look at me like I'm crazy and go, why would you want to get into energy? It's, you know, it's so complicated and it's, it's, there's so much noise about it. But if you sort of look beyond the immediate hotspot that we're in, which is this kind of highly politicised um, environment, and you kind of look a bit further out, the, the opportunity is, enor is enormous. And I think that really kind of fires me up and gets me excited about how can you make it accessible to everybody? So it's not just the people that have got lots of money that can afford to do it. It's, it's how could we innovate with products that actually allows, you know, renters or landlords to have products that help land, help um, tenants reduce the cost of their um, their rent because they've got energy efficient homes. Or there's so many ways that this could go, which I think is really, really exciting. 
Well, and of course, as you say, you're mainly in Victoria, so I guess interstate uh, expansion, that it always seems to be difficult for a retailer to break out of Victoria. But if I could just come back to the to the meeting that you went to, and it's funny, you said you want to encourage loyalty because uh, uh, Angus Taylor, as I read The Australian, wants, wants to tax it. <laughs> um, uh, what... How, what was your sense of, 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 of the meeting? I mean, at least at the big end of town, you're, you're in mass market and not like flow power looking after big business and people or ERM, but at the mass, I mean, uh, I guess my question is, is at the big end of town, the electricity industry, I don't think is very in tune, this is my opinion, with, with the proposals that have been put up. Uh, how do you see things from your, your end? Well, I think from my end, my observation of the meeting itself, everyone was very constructive. I think that, um, you know, everybody is um, in a space where they're wanting to do the right thing. I, you know, there's a lot. there's been a lot of criticism of the industry and, you know, the ACCC has found that there has been poor behaviour. But looking around the room at any of those um, CEOs and someone with enormous portfolios of responsibility, I didn't see anybody there that was deliberately trying to sabotage or um, destroy a customer. At, at all. I think people are looking for ways that we can work together to solve it. But at the end of the day, it's a competitive, we're a competitive environment as well. So it's a, it's quite challenging to bring us all together like that and have a really open discussion because it's, that's just not something that's I, I used to hate, hate going to other analyst meetings where, where they'd ask someone, a manager would ask what your opinion of something was. And I, I hated sharing that in front of another analyst. <laughs> Well, that, yeah, so th so I think the, the topics that we talked about last week were very much focused as what we as an industry can do and how we can collaborate together on um, at least helping customers compare our offers between ourselves. So agreeing as kind of a standardised way that we can have a, um, a reference price, which I think would be very helpful for customers. Um, but that was kind of as much as the discussion would allow. When you were talking, and when you're looking around that room, and you mentioned before about the different opportunities that were presented with these new technologies, when you looked around that room, did you sort of see a sea of people that were interested in embracing that, or some people who got their sort of um, got the handbrake on? Oh, none of that topic got not, not not an opportunity to sort of talk about that. I think you'd have to be um, asleep at the wheel to not know that that disruption's coming so but certainly it wasn't talked about in last week's meeting you can be asleep at the wheel but you might also be worried about your business model and i think for a lot of them they struggle with what their business model will be going forward yeah you, you may be you may be right i mean i don't I, I don't sort of i spend more of my time worrying about how i'm going to make sure that we can contribute to that um and what sort of you know, function momentum can have. And I think that's probably the biggest advantage that we've got. And your point about, yes, we're largely Victorian, Victorian based. We do actually, we are actually, you know, acquiring customers in other states. And, and that is because genuinely customers are seeking an, an alternative. And I think that's the, that's the beauty about being a tier two. And that's probably why I love this business so much is that that's the, the unique opportunity. I think also our ownership um, presents us an interesting opportunity as well. Um, you know, I don't have to manage a lot of the risks that some of my competitors do when you hear words like default offers or default pricing or, you know, that makes external investors really nervous. Um, and I think some of my competitors, are, you know, that's something that's genuinely concerning them as, as investment into their own businesses into the future because some of their shareholders are concerned that the energy market's going to be regulated. Um, and what does that mean for them? Yeah, that's right. I mean, you have to compete against a government-owned, federal government-owned company, uh, uh, Snowy, 
which has, you know, uh, four times your level of customers in Victoria, probably. Um, that, that's tough in and of itself. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and then how do you feel about the Victorian solar scheme and the South Australian scheme? Do you see them as opportunities? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you've got the right, if you've got the right proposition to marry up with that, then I think that's a win for customers. And, 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 and do you think you will have that, you'll have affirming, like the sort of things you were talking about helping households, that's what sort of, uh, you know, Flowpower are talking about with big business and other companies talk about with big business. But I guess when it's, when it's a big customer, you can put a lot more time into it. It's, it's hard to develop standardised products and get economies of scale, is yeah. it or isn't it? Well, we're right at the early stages of that, so I sort of don't have a, I don't have a really quick answer for that now, but it's certainly something that we're spending some time thinking through now in terms of how can we start small, how can we get, because there's customers that are just not engaged in this either, by the way, so that's going to take time to develop out. Um, this, but the, I think there's, if you just start small, you test things with customers, it can present great opportunities and you can kind of build it out and scale. Not everything needs to be a great big project with a great big launch and a great big PR plan. You can actually do things with cust a small group of customers, test it quite quickly. If it gets, if it works, people like it, you can then kind of grow from there. And that's, that's the sort of stuff that, um, you know, I'm really keen to lead the business into. Well, look, Amy, thank you very much. It's been lovely talking to you. Um, we probably have to wrap it up there, but um, thanks once again for your insights and um, good, luck with your, good luck with your role. Thank you so much. Have a great afternoon. Yes. Cheers now. That was Amy Childs from the CEO of uh, Momentum Energy. Um, interesting stuff, um, David. Um, great to get the perspective of a smaller retailer. Um, interesting, at least they seem to have some sort of vision for what the future might hold. We don't get too much of that from the big retailers. Oh, no, I think the big retailers have got ideas as well, but for all of them, you can dress it up in nice words, but the, the difficulty is getting out, getting out there, getting enough customers to cover your fixed costs. Uh, and, and finding an angle to keep growing. Uh, basically, only Red Energy and Lumo, in my opinion, have really succeeded from the small retail inside of things over time. And of course, they're now owned by the federal government anyway. Ah, indeed, indeed. Let's look to a couple, bit of other positive news around the place. That We had a few more solar farms connecting or about to connect, um, including, I, th I think, uh, the Finlay solar farm um, in Western New South Wales was um, transferred ownership last week and got its financial close. So it's going to be built now. That's going to supply electricity to Blue Scope Steel, which is, um, which is major progress. The Claremont and Women solar farms are just about online. And we're starting to see some of those new batteries come online as well. Um, the one in Alice Springs, which we won't actually see in any app because it's all sitting in its unique little grid there, but that's quite interesting. Um, in Alice Springs, dealing with their old generators and a very high penetration of solar. The Ballarat Energy Storage was um, formally open a couple of weeks ago, but started playing in the market last week. And I understand, but I haven't actually seen it myself, but I understand that the Ganawara battery next to the Ganawara solar farm is, um, is also visible on those who have a much better um, Nimwatch app than, than me. Uh, yes, Charles. And uh, look, we're running over time here, but the ISP uh, neutral scenario, that's the integrated system plan that comes from AEMO, which, and that, this is their neutral scenario that also includes uh, Snowy uh, 2, Hydro 2, actually assumes that household distributed storage will be around two gigawatts by 2025. 
so uh, I mean, I think this is an area that's been underestimated by the market, but we need, uh, Giles, to add up all of these utility batteries and the household ones and just see how much difference they're going to make. And look, we, we're really coming to the end here. and we, we should thank our sponsors, but I just wanted to mention, because we didn't do it uh, previously, the other big announcement in the last couple of weeks is uh, Snowy's uh, 800 uh, megawatts of uh, tenders, but unfortunately, not as many new projects as I've been looking for. Well, it's really interesting because they um, we sort of flagged a, a month or so ago that they were going to go out with more megawatt capacity than they had um, uh, asked for, 888 megawatts. But the extraordinary thing is they wouldn't actually tell us which projects they were. And we still don't know which all projects they're going to be. Some of the winning tender companies have come out and said, oh, we won, but we're not going to tell you which project they are. It just drives me crazy. Um, this should be a really good story. Um, and it, it just it actually starts to make me question just how good a story it actually is, considering we're not told who's won it or which project which will, will be built um, to meet it. And we know from at least one of the winning tenderers, CWP, that it's not, as you say, it's not going to be all new generation. Yeah, well, there's not much more to say about that. I'll, we'll, things generally emerge over time. So, But it's, it's another piece of news. There's another 800 megawatts, if you like, of contracted generation. So either risk has been reduced or new projects have been started. Uh, so we and, need and, certainly and, positive news. And a lot less than the current wholesale prices and the current baseload, which is um, something that's reflected in the new um, Lazard. Um, and the, the 12th annual... Um, Estimated cost of levelised cost of energy of wind and solar. It goes to the US, but um, it just shows that wind and solar are well and truly cheaper than new coal, gas or nuclear in the US. And now, in fact, cheaper in many and most cases than existing and fully depreciated coal, gas and um, and uh, nuclear in the US. But we have to add in the balancing cost as well. But in, we in do, any but, case, Giles, but, but, you, but what, you make sure you send a copy to our, our mate uh, Angus because uh, he, you know, I don't know what they put in the water in Canberra, right? <laughs> a, a number of these guys are... Seriously, a number of these guys are very smart, right? They've got great degrees and academic credentials and they go down to Canberra and get made a minister and they start talking absolute bullshit, you know, like stuff that you wouldn't get away with in high school. <laughs> anyway. I know, I know. But you apparently can get away with it in politics, but um, as long as you're fair income. <laughs> so there you go. Look, thanks to uh, sponsors um, Solaray Energy and What Watchers. We do appreciate your support and your ongoing support. They've been around for, um, with us for, for a while now and um, it's fantastic. And um, thank you, David. And look, I look forward to um, catching up again next week when our heads might have turned another 720 degrees as we try and keep up with the developments in Australia's supposedly growing electricity industry. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Watt Watchers, makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs. Accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit whatwatches.com.au and take control of your energy use. Energy Insiders is also sponsored by Solaray Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. They're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solaray.com.au and secure your energy future today.